This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Caitlin Sticko, 2006. Vindication of the Rights of Women by Mary Wollstonecraft. Chapter 13. Chapter 13. Some Instances of the Folly Which the Ignorance of Women Generates, with Concluding Reflections on the Moral Improvement that a Revolution in Female Manners might naturally be expected to produce. There are many follies, in some degree, peculiar to women, sins against reason of commission as well as of omission, but all flowing from ignorance or prejudice. I shall only point out such as appear to be injurious to their moral character, and in animadverting on them I wish especially to prove that the weakness of mind and body, which men have endeavoured by various motives to perpetuate, prevents their discharging the peculiar duty of their sex, for when weakness of body will not permit them to suckle their children, and weakness of mind makes them spoil their tempers, is woman in a natural state? Section 13.1 One glaring instance of the weakness which proceeds from ignorance first claims attention, and calls for severe reproof. In this metropolis, a number of lurking leeches infamously gain a subsistence by practicing on the credulity of women, pretending to cast nativities, to use the technical phrase, and many females, who, proud of their rank and fortune, look down on the vulgar with sovereign contempt, show by this credulity that the distinction is arbitrary, and that they have not sufficiently cultivated their minds to rise above vulgar prejudices. Women, because they have not been led to consider the knowledge of their duty as the one thing necessary to know, or to live in the present moment by the discharge of it, are very anxious to peep into futurity, to learn what they have to expect, to render life interesting and to break the vacuum of ignorance. I must be allowed to expostulate seriously with the ladies who follow these idle inventions. For ladies, mistresses of families, are not ashamed to drive in their own carriages to the door of the cunning man. And if any of them should peruse this work, I entreat them to answer to their own hearts the following questions, not forgetting that they are in the presence of God. Do you believe that there is but one God, and that He is powerful, wise, and good? Do you believe that all things were created by Him, and that all beings are dependent on Him? Do you rely on His wisdom, so conspicuous in His works and in your own frame? And are you convinced that He has ordered all things which do not come under the cognizance of your senses, in the same perfect harmony, to fulfil His designs? Do you acknowledge that the power of looking into futurity and seeing things that are not, as if they were, is an attribute of the Creator? And should He, by an impression on the minds of His creatures, 
think fit to impart to them some event hid in the shades of time yet unborn to whom would the secret be revealed by immediate inspiration the opinion of ages will answer this question to reverend old men to people distinguished for eminent piety the oracles of old were thus delivered by priests dedicated to the service of god who were supposed to inspire them the glare of worldly pomp which surrounded these impostors and the respect paid to them by artful politicians who knew how to avail themselves of this useful engine to bend the necks of the strong under the dominion of the cunning spread a sacred mysterious veil of sanctity over their lies and abominations impressed by such solemn devotional parade a greek or roman lady might be excused if she inquired of the oracle when she was anxious to pry into futurity or to inquire about some dubious event and her inquiries however contrary to reason could not be reckoned impious but can the professors of Christianity ward off that imputation? Can a Christian suppose that the favourites of the Most High, the highly favoured, would be obliged to lurk in disguise, and practise the most dishonest tricks to cheat silly women out of the money which the poor cry for in vain? Say not that such questions are an insult to common sense, for it is your own conduct, O oh ye foolish women, which throws an odium on your sex. And these reflections should make you shudder at your thoughtlessness and irrational devotion. For I do not suppose that all of you laid aside your religion, such as it is, when you entered those mysterious dwellings. Yet, as I have throughout supposed myself talking to ignorant women, for ignorant ye are in the most emphatical sense of the word. It would be absurd to reason with you on the egregious folly of desiring to know what the supreme wisdom has concealed. Probably you would not understand me, were I to attempt to show you that it would be absolutely inconsistent with the grand purpose of life, that of rendering human creatures wise and virtuous, and that, were it sanctioned by God, it would disturb the order established in creation, and if it not be sanctioned by God, do you expect to hear truth? Can events be foretold, events which have not yet assumed a body to become subject to mortal inspection? Can they be foreseen by a vicious worldling who pampers his appetites by preying on the foolish ones? Perhaps, however, you devoutly believe in the devil, and imagine, to shift the question, that he may assist his votaries. But if really respecting the power of such a being, an enemy to goodness and to God, can you go to church after having been under such an obligation to him? From these delusions to those still more fashionable deceptions, practised by the whole tribe of magnetizers, the transition is very natural. With respect to them, it is equally proper to ask women a few questions. Do you know anything of the construction of the human frame? If not, it is proper that you should be told 
what every child ought to know, that when its admirable economy has been disturbed by intemperance or indolence, I speak not of violent disorders, but of chronical diseases, it must be brought into a healthy state again by slow degrees, and if the functions of life have not been materially injured, regimen, another word for temperance, air, exercise, and a few medicines prescribed by persons who have studied the human body, are the only human means yet discovered of recovering that inestimable blessing health, which will bear investigation. Do you then believe that these magnetizers, who by hocus-pocus tricks pretend to work a miracle, are delegated by God, or assisted by the solver of all these kind of difficulties, the devil? Do they, when they put to flight, as it is said, disorders that have baffled the powers of medicine, work in conformity to the light of reason? Or do they affect these wonderful cures by supernatural aid? By a communication, an adept may answer, with the world of spirits. A noble privilege, it must be allowed. Some of the ancients mentioned familiar demons who guarded them from danger, by kindly intimating, we cannot guess in what manner, when any danger was nigh, or pointed out what they ought to undertake. Yet the men who laid claim to this privilege, out of the order of nature, insisted that it was the reward or consequence of superior temperance and piety. But the present workers of wonders are not raised above their fellows by superior temperance or sanctity. They do not cure for the love of God, but money. These are the priests of quackery though it may be true they have not the convenient expedient of selling masses for souls in purgatory, nor churches where they can display crutches and models of limbs made sound by a touch or a word. I am not conversant with the technical terms, nor initiated into the arcana. Therefore I may speak improperly. But it is clear that men who will not conform to the law of reason and earn a subsistence in an honest way, by degrees, are very fortunate in becoming acquainted with such obliging spirits. We cannot, indeed, give them credit for either great sagacity or goodness, else they would have chosen more noble instruments when they wished to show themselves the benevolent friends of man. It is, however, little short of blasphemy to pretend to such power. From the whole tenor of the dispensations of Providence, it appears evident to sober reason that certain vices produce certain effects, and can any one so grossly insult the wisdom of God as to suppose that a miracle will be allowed to disturb his general laws, to restore the health of the intemperate and vicious, merely to enable them to pursue the same course with impunity? Be whole, and sin no more, said Jesus, and are greater miracles to be performed by those who do not follow his footsteps, who healed the body to reach the mind. 
the mentioning of the name of Christ, after such vile impostors, may displease some of my readers. I respect their warmth. But let them not forget that the followers of these delusions bear his name, and profess to be the disciples of him, who said, By their works we should know who were the children of God, or the servants of sin. I allow that it is easier to touch the body of a saint, or to be magnetized, than to restrain our appetites, or govern our passions. But health of body or mind can only be recovered by these means, or we make the supreme judge partial and revengeful. Is he a man that he should change or punish out of resentment? He, the common father, wounds but to heal, says reason, and our irregularities, producing certain consequences, we are forcibly shown the nature of vice, that thus learning to know good from evil by experience, we may hate one and love the other in proportion to the wisdom which we attain. The poison contains the antidote, and we either reform our evil habits and cease to sin against our own bodies, to use the forcible language of Scripture, or a premature death, the punishment of sin, snaps the thread of life. Here an awful stop is put to our inquiries. But why should I conceal my sentiments? Considering the attributes of God, I believe that whatever punishment may follow will tend, like the anguish of disease, to show the malignity of vice for the purpose of reformation. Positive punishment appears so contrary to the nature of God, discoverable in all his works and in our own reason, that I could sooner believe that the Deity paid no attention to the conduct of men than that he punished without the benevolent design of reforming. To suppose only that an all-wise and powerful being, as good as he is great, should create a being foreseeing that after fifty or sixty years of feverish existence it would be plunged into never-ending woe, is blasphemy. On what will the worm feed that is never to die? On folly, on ignorance, say ye. I should blush indignantly at drawing the natural conclusion, could I insert it, and wish to withdraw myself from the wing of my God. On such a supposition, I speak with reverence, he would be a consuming fire. We should wish, though vainly, to fly from his presence when fear absorbed love and darkness involved all his counsels. I know that many devout people boast of submitting to the will of God blindly, as to an arbitrary scepter or rod, on the same principle as the Indians worship the devil. In other words, like people in the common concerns of life, they do homage to power and cringe under the foot that can crush them. Rational religion, on the contrary, is a submission to the will of a being so perfectly wise that all he wills must be directed by the proper motive, must be reasonable. And if we thus respect God, can we give credit to the mysterious insinuations which insult his laws? Can we believe, though it should stare us in the face, 
that he would work a miracle to authorize confusion by sanctioning an error. Yet we must either allow these impious conclusions, or treat with contempt every promise to restore health to a diseased body by supernatural means, or to foretell the incidents that can only be foreseen by God. Section 13.2 Another instance of that feminine weakness of character, often produced by a confined education, is a romantic twist of the mind, which has been very properly termed sentimental. Women, subjected by ignorance to their sensations, and only taught to look for happiness in love, refine on sensual feelings, and adopt metaphysical notions respecting that passion, which lead them, shamefully, to neglect the duties of life, and frequently, in the midst of these sublime refinements, they plunge into actual vice. These are the women who are amused by the reveries of the stupid novelists, who, knowing little of human nature, work up stale tales and describe meretricious scenes, all retailed in sentimental jargon, which equally tend to corrupt the taste and draw the heart aside from its daily duties. I do not mention the understanding, because, never having been exercised, its slumbering energies rest inactive, like the lurking particles of fire which are supposed universally to pervade matter. Females, in fact, denied all political privileges, and not allowed as married women, excepting in criminal cases, a civil existence, have their attention naturally drawn from the interest of the whole community to that of the minute parts though the private duty of any member of society must be very imperfectly performed when not connected with the general good. The mighty business of female life is to please, and restrained from entering into more important concerns by political and civil oppression, sentiments become events, and reflection deepens what it should and would have effaced if the understanding had been allowed to take a wider range. But, confined to trifling employments, they naturally imbibe opinions which the only kind of reading calculated to interest an innocent, frivolous mind inspires. Unable to grasp anything great, is it surprising that they find the reading of history a very dry task, and disquisitions addressed to the understanding intolerably tedious and almost unintelligible? Thus are they necessarily dependent on the novelist for amusement. Yet, when I exclaim against novels, I mean when contrasted with those works which exercise the understanding and regulate the imagination. For any kind of reading I think better than leaving a blank still a blank, because the mind must receive a degree of enlargement and obtain a little strength by a slight exertion of its thinking powers, Besides, even the productions that are only addressed to the imagination raise the reader a little above the gross gratification of appetites to which the mind has not given a shade of delicacy. This observation is the result of experience, for I have known several notable women, and one in particular, who is a very good woman, 
as good as such a narrow mind would allow her to be, who took care that her daughters, three in number, should never see a novel. As she was a woman of fortune and fashion, they had various masters to attend them, and a sort of menial governess to watch their footsteps. From their masters they learned how tables, chairs, etc., were called in French and Italian. But as the few books thrown in their way were far above their capacities, or devotional, they neither acquired ideas nor sentiments, and passed their time, when not compelled to repeat words, in dressing, quarrelling with each other, or conversing with their maids by stealth, till they were brought into company as marriageable. Their mother, a widow, was busy in the meantime in keeping up her connections, as she termed a numerous acquaintance, lest her girls should want a proper introduction into the great world. And these young ladies, with minds vulgar in every sense of the word, and spoiled tempers, entered life puffed up with notions of their own consequence, and looking down with contempt on those who could not vie with them in dress and parade. With respect to love, nature or their nurses had taken care to teach them the physical meaning of the word, and as they had few topics of conversation, and fewer refinements of sentiment, they expressed their gross wishes not in very delicate phrases when they spoke freely talking of matrimony. Could these girls have been injured by the perusal of novels? I almost forgot a shade in the character of one of them. She affected a simplicity bordering on folly, and with a simper would utter the most immodest remarks and questions, the full meaning of which she had learned whilst secluded from the world, and afraid to speak in her mother's presence, who governed with a high hand. They were all educated, as she prided herself, in a most exemplary manner, and read their chapters and psalms before breakfast, never touching a silly novel. This is only one instance, but I recollect many other women who not led by degrees to proper studies, and not permitted to choose for themselves, have indeed been overgrown children, or have obtained, by mixing in the world, a little of what is termed common sense, that is, a distinct manner of seeing common occurrences, as they stand detached. But what deserves the name of intellect, the power of gaining general or abstract ideas, or even intermediate ones, was out of the question. Their minds were quiescent, and when they were not roused by sensible objects and employments of that kind, they were low-spirited, would cry or go to sleep. When, therefore, I advise my sex not to read such flimsy works, it is to induce them to read something superior. For I coincide, in opinion, with a sagacious man, who, having a daughter and niece under his care, 
pursued a very different plan with each. The niece, who had considerable abilities, had, before she was left to his guardianship, been indulged in desultory reading. Her he endeavoured to lead, and did lead, to history and moral essays. But his daughter, whom a fond, weak mother had indulged, and who consequently was averse to everything like application, he allowed to read novels, and used to justify his conduct by saying, that if she ever attained a relish for reading them, he should have some foundation to work upon, and that erroneous opinions were better than none at all. In fact, the female mind has been so totally neglected that knowledge was only to be acquired from this muddy source, till from reading novels some women of superior talents learned to despise them. The best method, I believe, that can be adopted to correct a fondness for novels, is to ridicule them. Not indiscriminately, for then it would have little effect. But, if a judicious person, with some turn for humour, would read several to a young girl, and point out, both by tones and apt comparisons with pathetic incidents and heroic characters in history, how foolishly and ridiculously they caricatured human nature, just opinions might be substituted instead of romantic sentiments. In one respect, however, the majority of both sexes resemble, and equally show a want of taste and modesty. Ignorant women, forced to be chaste to preserve their reputation, allow their imagination to revel in the unnatural and meretricious scenes sketched by the novel writers of the day, slighting as insipid the sober dignity and matronly grace of history. Footnote. I am not now alluding to that superiority of mind which leads to the creation of ideal beauty, when life, surveyed with a penetrating eye, appears a tragicomedy, in which little can be seen to satisfy the heart without the help of fancy. Whilst men carry the same vitiated taste into life, and fly for amusement to the wanton from the unsophisticated charms of virtue, and the grave respectability of sense. Besides, the reading of novels makes women, and particularly ladies of fashion, very fond of using strong expressions and superlatives in conversation, and though the dissipated, artificial life which they lead prevents their cherishing any strong, legitimate passion, the language of passion, in affected tones, slips for ever from their glib tongues, and every trifle produces those phosphoric bursts which only mimic in the dark the flame of passion. End of chapter 13a